Greetings, ding-dongs. The smell of autumn is in the air, and I always seem to come alive this time of year. I don't know if you have any fall rituals, but over here you can find me breaking out the old soup cauldron, doing something crafty, or hunkering down to read or write some creepy stories, or play some games, or watch some movies. And so the guest I have today seems to embody all of that and more so. Ed Kurtz is a handsome juggernaut of an author with books such as The Rib From Which We Remake the World, A Wind of Knives, Angel of the Abyss, and his amazing Boone trilogy of westerns. You'll also find an abundance of short fiction by him in publications such as Shotgun Honey, Thuglet, and countless anthologies. In fact, he's the editor of a brand new anthology releasing from Cemetery Dance, in the Cold, Cold Ground. It's a collection of six novellas, one of which by Kurtz himself, as well as authors William D. Carl, Kristen Dearborn, Eric Nunnally, Kyle Rader, and Morgan Sylvia. We're here to talk a bit about that today, but the bulk of our discussion is going to revolve around a topic that Ed is uniquely equipped to discuss, I think bad art. And no, that's not the slam it sounds like. But first, welcome to the show, Ed. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. As, did I nail the intro? Did, it, did, did. there anything you want to correct? Or You, okay. wait, you mentioned I was handsome, and that's the, the key. Yes. The key datum there, I think. <laughs> that is, I had to do it for our friend Bryce and everybody else who knows and loves you because this is part of your brand, man. It is you know, part just... of <laughs> <laughs> I only get more handsome. Yes. All the years. As time goes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but every hair I lose. Every well, you know, I mean I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. It's like every hair is turning slowly gray and it's thinning and I embrace wrinkles, that. You know? I love that. The gray I love hair. getting older. I like I love getting older. I think it's really it's weird. Mm -hmm. It's like body mm -hmm. horror. It's like living in a Cronenberg film. It is. You know, every day there's something, you know, like, it's like the fly, right? Like we're, we're all slowly turning into the fly. Oh my God. I, I still love that you brought up Cronenberg. I've, I've definitely been wanting to talk about Cronenberg on this show for pretty much since its inception. So uh, great reference. And yeah, I've, I've been going through some bodily things lately that definitely make me feel yes. like, like I am not me anymore. Something else has taken over this meat suit, and I don't know what the fuck it is. This so. is definitely something I want to write about, because uh, I, I think something that especially younger people take for granted is uh, our identities, our personalities, who we are, how we feel, um, and none of that is set in stone right? at all. Um, I mean, the slightest head trauma, and you're a different person, you know, Phineas Gage with the iron rod through his skull. Um and aging is like, I mean, all, so much weird shit happens mm -hmm. really, really around 40, 45. It's just is the gateway to the rest of your life being really weird. Yeah. Uh, and it's very, very frightening for people, but I'm a horror author. And to me, it's fascinating, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, you have to take fascination in it. I think that's a that's a very good point. And I think that's often why I find myself drawn to horror or writing it is that uh attempt to explain to myself what the hell is going on yeah. in my body or elsewhere. I love body horror, by the way. That's one of my favorite subgenres. And I've I've written it a few times and there's just something so 
gruesomely satisfying about writing yeah, it. Absolutely. <laughs> Love I mean, it. We're, we're a species of, of animals that takes unusual delight in like popping pimples. Oh like, yeah. Everybody does. Everybody's like, Ooh, whitehead. Is it not even my birthday? I get to squish <laughs> something gross on my body. I think we're all into that. An entire YouTube phenomenon i mean, I think it even became a tv show but i mean yeah, yeah it's centered i don't watch other that. people do that i think that's disgusting but <laughs> but but if it's me i'm like it's a gift from nature thank you in the interest of overshare i've i've had um you know some incidents where i've had to go into the doctor to have something lanced you know some kind of oh, like I a boil too, yeah. or something yeah yeah and the way the staff reacts when it's being done like they are practically getting off. Like you can hear them oh, like, yeah. ooh. <laughs> and meanwhile, you just feel this shit running down your neck or what, wherever it is. And it's like, can we get this over with, please? I'm glad you're having a good time. <laughs> well, see, that's the other thing that I, I take great delight in that I think terrifies everybody else is uh, I have never met or heard of a human being that was not mentally ill. Right, right. Uh, I don't think it's possible. Uh, there's degrees, of course, but everybody in the world is nuts yes. and has weird fascinations or weird attractions. Uh, yeah. So, you know, with the people that watch Dr. Pimple Popper, that's not for me. Right. Right. But I ain't judging. No, man. It's it's There's something primal in it, you know? That's the I thing. I think you're crazy it's, for watching it. But that's okay. <laughs> My crazy lives somewhere else. Yeah, it's all totally, right. totally. <laughs> now, I really want to get uh, off the bat. I want to mention before we get into the the bad art discussion. I want to uh, mention, of course, your anthology coming out from yeah. Cemetery Dance. I was so stoked when I saw the pre order for that. I jetted over there and put it in. And that's and you're I, the one. Yeah, I'm the one. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, we'll get more. But no, this is your first ed the first anthology you have edited, yeah? Yeah, sort of accidentally, but yeah. Yeah. And so, how did this thing, what's the origin story? How did this thing yeah. become uh, birthed? And I guess we should also explain what exactly it is, because these six authors have each written a novella that represents, what, a state in New England? Is right. that right? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a Yankee. My mother is. She's, she's from Massachusetts, but I grew up in the South. Yeah. Um, but I've lived here in Connecticut for six years and, um, one of my very good friends and, and colleagues, uh, Kyle Rader, originally from Vermont, but he's, he's lived for some time in New Hampshire. He sent me an, a, as of yet unpublished novel, um, last year called Leeches with Human Phases. That is just marvelous. Uh, very, very unique story. The book is about a, uh, a, a mentally unstable uh, man in prohibition era rural vermont mm -hmm. uh, who believes he's a vampire hunter uh he digs up freshly buried bodies and stakes them he's got his dead uncle he thinks talking to him and telling him to do all this and meanwhile a canadian mafia is running this town through you know liquor bootlegging and all that and he gets mixed up in all of that it's just an incredible book i love the sound of that and it's it's really great yeah, yeah. I love anything Prohibition era, and I have family in rural Vermont, so okay, I, this, yeah. is, this is talking to me. <laughs> it's a super good book, and I was just blown away by it, and we you know, I, we, we talked about it a little bit uh, after I read it, and I was just thinking, man, I really want to do something with, mm -hmm. with Kyle Rader. And in the span of a few hours, I kid you not, that it went from that to him and I fleshing out an idea to do this anthology where we would get four more of our friends 
and everybody has a connection to a different state in New England. Um, everybody would be assigned, uh, and all, all, all it had to be was explicitly set in that state and hard, apart from the do whatever you want. Right, right. I love it. And, and so uh, everybody was first choice. Uh, I did Connecticut. Uh, Kyle does New Hampshire. Eric Nunnally is a, a native of uh, Massachusetts. I picked him for two reasons. He's a wonderful writer, and he hates Massachusetts, so I thought he'd be a really good pick for that. Uh, Bill Carl, a wonderful writer. Uh, the only other non-native here in New England. Yeah. He's originally from Ohio. So he, he does Rhode Island. Uh, Morgan Sylvia does uh, Maine. And uh, Kristen Dearborn does Vermont. So I, I didn't know who was going to edit this thing. I, I, I got everybody to agree to it. Um, I pitched the, the cemetery dance. Uh, they agreed to do it. And I just, it was my idea. So I just kind of got stuck with the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think I did an okay job. Well, uh, that's great, though. That I mean, you know these authors. Yeah. You, you had a solid concept. You're not waiting through a slush pile, it sounds like. It's yeah. just, you know, uh, a lot of editing, you know, maybe, like in terms of just reading and doing the whole thing. Yeah. But I mean, you're doing, that sounds great, honestly. It was, it was a tremendous amount of fun. Everything was uh, suspiciously easy hmm. uh you know everything was turned on i mean it, it turned in on time and just nobody there was no problems with anybody i'm still waiting there's gonna be something that's gonna it's, fuck up this here. is publishing so yeah right so but it's you know it's got this beautiful cover by don noble um yeah i'm really 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 excited about it it comes out i think about three weeks so yeah yeah i love that cover and honestly anybody who is listening to this right now and isn't going to pre-order this from cemeterydance.com uh you're not a fan of the show obviously because this is so uh, <laughs> this is so like in the wheelhouse of what i try to do here and i cannot wait to get this book and i will make sure to promote the hell out of it so thank you um yeah yeah i'm excited and now that we have discussed the book uh, in the cold, cold grounds, I want to pivot, my friends, because we're going to talk about you a little bit more here. Um, now, okay. I've, no I've known you a number of years, um, yeah. and I, you know, we're Facebook friends. We've been in person once at a writer's conference and uh, or just outside it, New York, and that was a yeah. blast. And I've always admired the range of genres that you tackle because when I first met you, I thought, oh, yeah, he's a horror guy because I was a horror gal. You know, we're all in that right. circle. And so it's like, but I then started seeing like, wow, you write like crime stuff and you write Westerns and you write, you know, just basically anything that kind of tickles your fancy, short fiction, yeah. long fiction. Um, and I've also seen you move around the country a bit. So you you grew up <laughs> yes. in the South, you've lived in the upper Midwest, and now you live in New England. And I've only seen a small wedge of your life. So I imagine you've maybe lived in a bunch of other places too. But would you I say have. that where you have lived and like each place you've lived has had an influence on the stories you like to tell? Or do you think it's a little more amorphous or? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. Uh, I mean, to this day, uh, I'm, I'm most likely to write about Arkansas or Texas because that's where I've spent the bulk of my life. Yeah. Um, but I've started writing about Connecticut. It took me probably five plus years of living right. here before I started doing that. Um, but yeah, my, obviously my novella in, in the, in the collection is, uh, is Connecticut. Right. Um, I'm writing another novella. I'm finishing up another novella right now for a, a, a publisher that's also set in Connecticut. And, uh, I, I think I did my, well, maybe my first Minnesota story six years after leaving there recently. <laughs> do you find uh, that, uh, do you find that any of these places lend more to say like horror than 
better than the rest or are they all pretty fucked up like in terms of like you know you can dredge yeah. something up from each of them when i write about arkansas i mean rip the, the rip from which they make the world takes place in arkansas and that's right. that's horror and, and noir mm-hmm. but um my arkansas stuff tends to be more crime oriented my new england stuff tends to be more horror oriented mm-hmm. um I, I do think the different places i'm i'm I, I, I'm I'm a man from nowhere, really. I mean, I was born in Indianapolis. I grew up in Virginia and then Arkansas. Then I moved to Texas for a long time. I've lived in Boston. I've lived in L.A. I've lived in Minnesota, Connecticut, Germany for a little while. That's right. Um, I knew you were overseas for a bit, but I couldn't remember yeah, where. Yeah. Um, so, you know, somebody asks me where I'm from. I just say Arkansas because I'm not getting into it. But yeah, uh, I do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not really a product of any one culture. And so everywhere I go, everybody's accent sounds weird to me. Yeah. Everywhere I go, uh, the little idiosyncrasies of their culture just seem weird to me. Um, and they never stop being weird to me. I mean, I, I, I make fun of Gam all the time because we've been together for six years and she has the most mild Connecticut accent possible. <laughs> But every once yeah. in a while, it just it just sneaks out a little bit. And I'm like, ah, probably when you pissed her off or something. Yeah, well, me, I know. I'm, no, I'm no, I mean, she's, not she's you. Never, I... She's never been even annoyed with me that, that, that I know of. <laughs> uh, yeah. I totally relate to you, though, with uh, sort of feeling like you're not from a place. People say, where are you from? Well, I was born in Ohio. Then when I was three, we moved up to Michigan for 10 years. And then Mm. we moved back to Ohio. And then I moved out to Olympia, Washington for another 10 years. And then, I mean, I am from Ohio. And I spent probably now at this point, most of my life, the more of the majority of my life here than the other two places that uh, other states that I've lived in. But I, I, my heart's in pieces of my heart are in different parts yeah. of the country, I guess, yeah. similarly. But I always feel like when I want to write horror, I was usually right at home in, in Seattle. Uh, that was, yeah. you know, I mean, the serial killer capital of the world, practically. But it's, it's, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the Pacific Northwest is weird. Yeah, oh, it's a yeah. weird place. Very, very if much. If you want to write about weird stuff, that's a good that's a good spot to set it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I felt very at home setting things there, and then when I moved back out here, it took me a long time to. No, and now that I think about it, nothing that I have actually successfully published is set in Ohio. Mm. Um, I I still write adjacent. I my more my most famous book is set in Chicago, and you know the and the book I'm currently writing is set in Georgia. So I have connections to both of those places. Though my brother lives in Chicago, and I have family from Georgia and South Carolina. So you know that's where my southern roots kind of come in and so i'm always kind of trying to place everywhere else i've 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 not been to new england yet that's the one area of the country i've not been in that's awesome to me because one of my goals in life about writing about new england especially as an outsider is uh new england is nothing nothing like people from outside new england think it is oh i bet oh i can only um, imagine all yeah. of the ideas you have in your head about what each of these states and these these places in new england are like you're probably wrong especially yeah. connecticut yeah yeah because people think connecticut is like this blue blood like all the rich that's here <laughs> <laughs> but mostly Connecticut is the Mississippi of New England. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's like, okay. It's like economically depressed, working class. Um, 
And it's technically a blue state because of the cities, but not where I live. I was like that in Washington. I was, I would tell people all the time, you know, they look at, you know, Washington State's always strong blue. That's only because of King County. Yeah. Where yeah. Seattle and Redmond. Oh, I just found a neo Nazi enclave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We lived in, in a very, uh, very strongly red area. Yeah. You ever seen the green room? Oh, no, I have not seen that. I should I see it? It's a terrific movie with, um, Oh gosh, what was his name? Anton Yelchin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he is in a punk band, and they uh, like a you know northern uh, Pacific Northwest punk band, and they take a gig out in the boonies at this like private kind of club out in the woods. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've been to places like this in Arkansas; they they do exist. I went to a strip club once in Arkansas. It was in a triple white in the woods. It was something else, <laughs> but um, foxies. That blow, yeah. man, that was weird. But anyway, it was kind of like that. Just this place way out in the middle of nowhere. And they take this gig and they realize at some point during this gig that this is a neo-Nazi bar oh. that they're playing on. And everybody there are neo-Nazis. Oh. And they're, they're like, oh, shit, this is terrible. And rather than just sneak out like any of us would, they decide to cover the uh, Dead Kennedy song, Nazi Punks Fuck Off. And that kicks off a lot of problems for them out in the oh. middle of, out in the boonies and those, uh, those are heroes those yeah. are heroes <laughs> and the head the, the the patriarch of this nazi group is played by patrick stewart oh my god okay okay yeah it's so good it's oh so that's good. that is right up my alley i yeah, yeah i got to check that out but that's another example um, people think the pacific northwest is all hippies and vegans and everybody's feeling good and that's no not true at they're all like they're all gathered they're all huddled in these tiny like compacted clusters yeah, I, I guess this is a long way for me to say that uh location is a character for me location yeah. is important to me and part of it uh, and a big part of that is is trying to uh, convey to the audience that you know, this place might not be quite what you think it is. These people might not be quite who you think they are, which yeah. is, uh, of course, in itself at the roots of what horror is about, it's at, at the roots of what a lot of crime fiction is about. Agreed. I guess this would lead me into the question as we're talking about writing horror and writing crime and writing, all, you know, all these things. And people ask me this question, too, but I've I've never been able to kind of give them a quick and dirty answer because I think it's hard to do that. Uh, but I want to pass it on to you. Uh, what would you say pulls you toward exploring darkness in both the art you make and the art you consume? And just in general, you know, because you watch a good bit of horror, you write horror oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and all that. And I think, are we trying to process the shit that's happened to us or does it go deeper? Because I think, you know, in the interest, uh, I think the interest in creepy things or serious and downbeat things can sometimes predate any trauma that we experience as well. I mean, I was watching horror movies and loving them when I was like seven, eight years old. So, uh, and I hadn't been traumatized yet that I know of. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just curious what, what, what draws you in? What makes you want to explore those dark corners? I mean, I've had a lot of trauma in my life. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I've had a very colorful life, <laughs> yeah. uh, but a lot of it is as the, the the colors have been pretty dark. Um, yeah, I, I I will say a weird thing that might not be expected about me is that I could not uh, handle horror when I was a kid. Yeah, uh, at all. I mean, it just was too much for me. 
Whereas my, my parents had to be careful that I didn't see so much as a movie trailer for a horror film or I'd be awake for a week. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. This other, yeah. this other, other well, for, I mean, for example, the poster for uh, uh, Creep Show. Yeah. With the, with the, the creep in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Ruined my life. The, uh, the librarian ghost in Ghostbusters, 1984. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ruined yeah, my yeah. life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and my parents were just really tired of staying up with me. So they're like, no horror for you. But this other part of my brain that seemed to thirst for that, I would be drawing pictures of zombies and vampires and writing little stories all the time. And they were like, why are you doing this if you're so scared of this stuff? Yes. And I, I didn't really have an answer for that. Um, and, and it's it's like a similar question. I ask myself a lot these days that I'm really kind of addicted to, to true crime, mm-hmm. which is a kind of controversial subject these days i agree uh, for, for good reason i think i mean I'm, I'm not i'm not going to yell at anybody that says hey th- there's problems with true crime because yeah there are problems with true crime absolutely um there are problems with using people's trauma as perhaps entertainment um uh, i don't know how much i look at it as entertainment but um i'm i'm very pleased to report that i'm cons- consistently disturbed by it yes every time <laughs> you know, the same. At, yeah. at no point am i going this is great i'm just i'm constantly disturbed by it but there's uh something in me that needs that particular kind of of brain fuel i need to be constantly disturbed by this fucking horrible species uh lest i i forget for a second yes uh, what we're capable of and perhaps what i'm capable of you know i ask that question a lot um i'm i'm a white american dude from the south yeah why am i not a trumper yeah i ask i ask that so i i don't know why i don't know why i i i mean you accept that duality really well though i mean i think that's something that people go their whole lives trying to avoid admitting you know they they think they know everything and they fucking don't <laughs> well i i've spent and i still do i spend a lot of time looking at the darkness in me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know um and i think that one of the reasons it's honestly very important to me to be kind and it's very not to be seen as kind to just be kind it's very important to me to be decent it's very important to me to have empathy um which itself is a weird dichotomy because i really don't like people for the most part i'm not a people person (laughs) but as much as i don't want to be around them i want them to be okay right and uh, and that doesn't come from me just being a naturally awesome guy. It comes from me spending a lot of time looking at the darkness in me, listening to myself say something not okay, or to think mm-hmm. something not okay, and then go, where did that come from? Because it sometimes feels like it does bubble up from like intrusive thoughts and things like sure, that, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like religious people would think, oh, no, it's the devil. You know, it's like, no, it's, it's just you. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. just suck as a species uh but but we can work on that we can workshop ourselves you know but um you know I, i've been around horrible people i've been horrible in situations in my life mm-hmm. and um you know i have fun with monster stories uh i've written some i'm writing one now uh vampires are not scary to me because yeah. there are there are no vampires they're fun they're not, not scary, scary. To me. people are scary to me <laughs> People are very. Yeah, I was going to say the vampire has more to fear from everyone else. I think. Than, yeah. Than we do. Um, I mean, if if it's well done and it's it's more of a, a sort of a metaphor, I guess, is one thing. But uh, 
you know, I, I, I'm a huge fan of the, the Universal Monsters movies from the from the 30s and 40s, and stuff. And I love I love that stuff. But it's not it's not in any way terrifying to me. It 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 gets. I mean, the the two of the scariest movies I think I've ever seen that really unnerved me were um, Monster with Charlize Theron as Eileen Warros. Great movie. As as a layered character that you both uh, are horrified by and also kind of have some sympathy for. Right. Because you can see how she ended up this way. Uh, and also The Last King of Scotland, uh, which is a semi-fictional uh, treatment of uh, Idi Amin, mm -hmm. uh, who was a very scary guy. It was uh, Forrest Whitaker, correct? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Very good He was a very, movie. very frightening person uh, who could just change who he was on a whim. Yeah. And, just and I think a lot of people have known... Uh, People like that, I, and and you know, asterisks next to people, men like that. <laughs> let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. Uh, who who can just snap? Um, yeah. At, at just having having a great time, and then uh, um, pe people are people are scary. People are very very frightening. I agree, and I, you know, and and I love that you mentioned like the di differentiation between like monsters and mythical creatures and things. That I agree. I don't find them scary. I find the people scarier i think that's what i tended yeah. to write more about people and families and relationships and very dysfunctional sure. stuff because it's like that those are the real life things that we need mm -hmm. that now everything else is fun and great enter entertainment which i love and yeah metaphor you know because we could say you know frankenstein's frankenstein's monster is a metaphor and you know they're all they're all kind of metaphors in their own way vampires sure. i you know pick your poison there but absolutely like the human being uh terrifying and inspiring and crazy but lovely i mean we're, yeah. we're wild we're a wild uh species i don't know how we got to the top of this food chain <laughs> really uh accident accidentally and not for long and i well are we uh, I, that's a whole another discussion i'm, I'm a i'm a uh, ignorant amateur uh entomologist uh, mm -hmm. don't ask me any questions at all because i'm not <laughs> I'm, i can't answer them uh just in, just in the sense that i really like arthropods i like spiders and i like insects and things like that my son's keeping two two pet spiders right now oh great i would yeah. have them myself if it yeah. weren't for my cats but uh <laughs> but it's really their world right it right. really is yeah. um if every human being on the planet disappeared in an instant the, the world would heal yeah if every spider disappeared in, in an instant it would be chaos um yes so sp spiders are, are better than people is what i'm getting at but um and I, and I guess I'm just sort of, you know, I don't, I don't like happy endings. I don't like feel good stories. I like unhappy endings. I like pessimistic views um, because that's my world. Right. And I mean, that's, that's the lens you're using. And it's interesting. I, I talk to people that are the complete flip side and they don't want any horror and they don't want any, sure. any bad stuff. And, and I often wonder, like, is that, is that good for us? Is that, I don't think so. you know, well, I mean, you know, it, it depends, I mean, but I, I don't think gent for the average person, it is good. I think we have to look, look into that abyss. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not as much yeah. as some of us do. But At least know, admit it's there. Cause I think that's, yeah. you know, if we could just, if, if people could just say, listen, I mean, we have to kind of look at these things. Otherwise we're sort of in a denialistic thing. And then when bad shit does happen, they end up being the most shocked and dysfunctional yeah, people alive. For it, sure. You know, I mean the, the, the shit with, you know, the pandemic and all that, I think that 
kind of illuminated some of that as well. If you were maybe a little less uh, optimistic about things, you know, you probably would have seen what was coming, you know, like with uh, the reactions people started having to the lockdowns and the vaccines and all that stuff. So, you know, it's like, I knew that even in the beginning when we're all holding hands and I'm like, yeah, that's not going to last. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, as soon as I realized, <laughs> as soon as, as soon as cases in the U.S. were announced, I went, this is not going to be great. Yeah, at all. This is, and it's not to this day. It's it's not great. No, and 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 I'm like, you know, I think if any of us, honestly, if we lived through nine eleven, at least, you know, when we saw that whole thing go to crap really yeah. fast too, like, oh, we're banded together, and then here we are. Uh, that didn't last very yeah. long at all either. So it, it brought just... the very worst out of out of people in this yeah. country. Not the best, but the worst. Yeah, the worst instincts, the worst uh, xenophobia and racism and. Yeah, I think the shared, like, there's something like when we all collectively go through this mass trauma event, we really don't hold it together very well at all. I think, you know, this idea, and that's never been true. So it's, that's another thing that sort of propaganda feeds us and is, you know, and they talk about like, oh, during World War II, we understood shared sacrifice and they rationed, they had to be dragged kicking and screaming to that rationing and they still fought it tooth and nail. We've always been this way way Mm -hmm. so you get this idea out of your head that you know 60 70 years ago they knew they were better people than us they were and and i watch i watch uh, wartime movies all the time yeah yeah with with the understanding of this is propaganda bullshit because not a Mm -hmm. single one of these movies shows a japanese american internment camp right right (laughs) yeah yeah you know i mean there's always like we got to paint ourselves as the good guy we can't handle that um but i want to like now pivot then because then we're starting to talk about a lot of you know culture things and everything and so uh i think now we can start talking about the things that you like to watch and i know you like to watch (laughs) a lot so when i get on when i get onto facebook to see what's going on with my friends every day uh, one of the things i most look forward to seeing is what movies you're going to be watching Um, that that, that warms my the cockles of it's my It's a heart. discussion between even now I'm like seeing my like Ed's watching this, honey. Uh, <laughs> you know, because he likes to watch he likes to watch a lot of um let's say smaller unheard of things as well yeah uh he doesn't watch horror but he watches like martial art like bad martial arts and bad you know action uh sci-fi action stuff like that um but what you watch you know runs a full gamut you're watching giallo italian horror and other international horror and action you're watching exploitation you're watching pre-code and golden age hollywood you're watching new hollywood and occasionally you'll have a mainstream piece that average folks have heard of but for those listening here is a very short list of the cinema that ed has watched recently uh i'm just gonna just a few few so people maybe maybe people out there know these and they're gonna flock to you um mr no legs mermaid isle monsterd a uh, Turkish ripoff of Superman. I couldn't remember. I couldn't tell what the title was of that. Do you remember it, that it, one? It was, it was just called the uh, the Return of Superman. The Return in, of Superman in, in, in Turkish. Yeah. Yeah. And then Alice doesn't live here anymore, which is a big favorite of mine. I had to. Oh, it's a like, great one. Yeah. When I saw you were watching that, I was like, "Yeah, that's a great one." Uh, and then uh, flesh eating ghouls from outer space. That's the mm-hmm. list. And before I ask a question, I just want to clarify that this list is far from exhaustive and there 
were things like the Jaws movies, the Mission Impossible series, Star Wars prequels. That was the influence of your lovely uh, fiance. Um, and all the Indiana Jones movies. You recently watched those. So, I did. Uh, and I suspect that's, you know, you're, you're filtering these in just to keep her from maybe murdering you in your sleep. Yes. But in all seriousness, it's, it's a really eclectic mix of stuff. So, um, so the first question I want to ask is why? <laughs> like what we're going to dig into this big picture here of why all this is, you know, why people are into this stuff as we talk, but I want to zoom in directly on you. What is it that you get out of watching movies and shows that culture at large seems to have, uh, maligned itself against or, or hasn't even heard of. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that is just completely lost. Artifacts, essentially. To me, <laughs> you're like sort of an archaeologist. So, oh, yeah. but, but <laughs> what is what is your drive there? What's your motivation? Um, I, I was talking to a friend of mine a, a couple of days ago about this, and I had this epiphany that, believe it or not, if, if, if you're coming to me from Facebook and you're seeing this cavalcade of uh, bizarre no budget stuff that i watch um i cinema is the most important thing in the world to me yeah i love cinema Same. Um, always my entire life as far back as i can remember when i was in elementary school there's just i couldn't wait to get home and watch movies um and in those days i like i only had you know the late 80s early 90s uh i i only had like most of us access to to the most mainstream stuff and so that's what I, I mean. God, when I was I was like in middle school and sleeping with the enemy came out. Oh, Not yeah. the target audience for that, but for some reason I really loved that movie when I, I was, did too. I was, like twelve years old <laughs> yeah. watching this movie on VHS. But um, <sighs> but because I uh, I I've, I've watched hundreds of thousands of movies in my life. Yeah. Um, and I will if I live long enough, I'll watch hundreds of thousands more. But uh, for me, it it eventually became like the old gateway drug lie that they fed us in the 80s and 90s and they said mm -hmm. if you smoke pot the next thing you know you're going to be taking pills and then it's going to be cocaine and then it's heroin and right. it's not true but for me with art it was that's exactly what happened is after a while hollywood movies just weren't scratching the itch Mm -hmm. You know, the cookie cutter kind of stuff that the art by committee, uh, trying to reach the widest possible audience, uh, just w wasn't scratching the edge. I, I started digging deeper, you know, and that's, that's how I discovered Italian horror in my twenties. Uh, Lucia Fulci being oh, Fulci. A, a, a god to me, horrible person. <laughs> just yeah. his, his art is just a, just so big to me. Argento, yeah. all this, this stuff. Um, I don't know, even know how I got into Hong Kong movies, but it happened somehow. I think somebody showed me Police Story, and I went, okay, this is part of my life yeah, now. Yeah, I got to say, probably mine was like Jackie Chan. I yeah. think, honestly, probably got me in, uh, and my husband, too. He, he absolutely loves that stuff. Loves kung fu movies, too. So uh, Criterion, when they when they started uh, doing DVDs around the late 90s, oh, yeah. uh, was, was introducing all kinds of stuff to me I'd never heard of before. I became this huge Kurosawa fan. Um and once I'd seen all the Kurosawa films, I had to go find more samurai films. And the deeper I dug with that, the weirder they got. There's some weird, obscure stuff out there. Yeah. Um, in the days, the, the, the long gone golden days of the video store. <laughs> mm. Come back, come back to us. Seriously. Um,
in I lived in Austin for many many years, and we had two local stores. I love video and Vulcan video that were just like Alexandria's library. They never got rid of anything. Oh, lovely. Um, tapes and discs and um i've always kept a vhs player around because there's a lot of stuff that will never never get to disc that i still want to see that's incredible i mean i i love that you're that you're keeping all mediums alive it's oh, not yeah. just streaming you're you have a vast like you're trying to watch everything you can get your hands on regardless well, I, i'm very constantly worried about lost media mm -hmm. um I, th I think people think that can't happen anymore, but it oh, does. It does we're, happen. We're more vulnerable to it now than ever. I feel like, um, yeah. I mean, one of, my, one of my big heartbreaks in life, being such a huge fan of early American cinema from the 20s and 30s and 40s, is uh, 50%, more than 50% of uh, of all movies made worldwide before 1950 are gone mm -hmm. forever. And I know that, you know, there were a lot of studio fires. I think the, uh -huh. that that got lost. You know, film, for those who don't know, is highly volatile and flammable. Well, the kind of the silver nitrate they use in those, they don't use. I mean, God, nobody uses film anymore at all. Period. Right. But, exactly. Um, exactly. So a lot of those, but then prints just get lost as studios close. And then. But now with know. all the digital stuff, there's there's technical just fuck ups that happen. Oh, where yeah. En entire uh, uh, movies get lost. Uh, with a lot of computer animated stuff that's happened yeah um but you know we but now we have all this this these ugly corporate shenanigans where they do shit like make a 90 million dollar batgirl movie that they never not that i give a shit but right but the but the but the the, uh, the precedent that this sets is terrifying oh yeah um that they would make a movie and just write it off for tax purposes um you know they they put shit out on streaming and six weeks later it's gone and they have no intention of ever releasing it again i mean that that too is there there is a part of hollywood culture too that uh that always bugs me as as a book writer who has had some things optioned is this concept that you know everybody's excited to make your thing but what they're really doing is securing the rights to then sit on it and then yeah. it just you know so people will be all excited that they sold a script or that they you know got their thing adapted and then it's like yeah it's not it's i guarantee to you nine out of ten of them ain't going anywhere and so i think they just love to just sit on things they do and not you know <laughs> and, and this actually brings me to kind of a a, a, a a salient point here there's a lot of corporate media i love i'm not i'm not, I'm not above that uh, um i'm a huge star trek guy i <laughs> love star trek wrath of khan i think is is like the my, my favorite uh, studio movie ever made in my lifetime. And that's doesn't get much ma more mainstream than that. Right. But I hate, I hate the way corporations make art or make, make mm -hmm. films, make music, anything. I right. hate the way they go. I hate the cynical Uber capitalist way that they do this stuff. Oh yeah. Um, it just sucks. And one thing that I've learned in my bad movie journey through life and Gamma laughed at me because I hate when the people use the word journey. You know, it's my journey. <laughs> Fuck off. But um, <laughs> in my shitty movie journey, when I live, live, laugh, and love through shitty movies. Oh, yeah. Um, what I've learned is I'm constantly surprised when I have put something, I've chosen something, and I've put it on, and I've ended up going, I really like this. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. I'm not being snarky this time. I really like this. Um, 
it has technical shortcomings because they had $50 to make this movie and friends to, to, to staff its crew, but they're doing something that's sincere. And let me tell you what I really hate in life is auteur theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of Criterion Collection, they need to get off auteur theory's deck because not every movie was made by a singular vision of a genius director. And, and, and yes. when you're talking about multi-million dollar movies, none of them are. Um, no, it's so collaborative. I mean, there's yeah, so many people with their, it's, with it's their com- hands in are, it. It's committee. Yes. But yes. When, when Mark Polonia and his brother started making videos with their, uh, with their camcorder in, in rural Pennsylvania in the 80s, they were auteurs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, go watch the feeders trilogy. I think you can find it on Tubi. They're goofy as hell, but, yeah. um, but they're sincere. I mean, they started doing this when they were in high school and, uh, uh, the, the Mark Polonia's brother, John, I think has passed away. So it's just Mark now, but, uh, he's still making these movies. So that's, that's what you're, you're looking for. Like you're, in part, I, I, yeah. you, if I feel like you're, I'm not going to use the J word, but you are on a walk <laughs> to discover <laughs> a walkabout. Uh, but no, like this, this sense of somebody who goes to say a, a thrift store or something and they're yes. looking and they collect a very particular, looking for a very particular type of thing. And they're searching through this bin of all these bins and to look for that thing. Yeah. And, and sometimes you find that thing. And sometimes I find some gems. I mean, uh, a, a guy, uh, in also in Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh that I'm a huge fan of, uh, named, uh, Steve Rudent, Rudzinski. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I came across his film, Karis Hell. It's a carousel, but Karis hell. Oh, <laughs> about, about a, uh, possessed, uh, carousel unicorn. I'm in, I'm in it already. Right. I love it. attaches from the carousel and starts killing people. There's a trilogy. They're wonderful. And I, I will admit, Steve, if, if you're listening to this, when I saw it on Tubi, I was, I was going to laugh at you. Yeah. And then yeah. I saw the movie and went, this is hilarious. He's a, he's a brilliant writer. He's a brilliant cop comedian. He's he's in the movies and he's super funny. Um, they're very uh, blue <laughs> at right. times, right? But um, oh man, they're great. I'm seeing, I'm, and he's made a whole bunch of movies, and I'm a huge fan of his stuff. And not everybody is going to get on that wavelength because they're really really low budget. You know, they're shot on video. Um, it you know it doesn't look like a movie you would see in the theater, but right? But to me, they're gold. Well, see, that speaks, I think, too, is from your roots as an indie author. Because yeah. you were, you've you worked and toiled in this fucking industry. And we'll, oh, and man. it deserves that qualifier and fucking more. It sure and, does. And I know you've been through it. But living in that world and operating that world of the indie author, uh, writing things that will probably not be seen by more than say a couple hundred people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's being very optimistic and, you know, knowing that there's so much greatness out there that hasn't been able to bubble up high enough to reach surface, yeah. you know, because it's buried so fucking deep. And so I love that, you know, I, it sounds like it, your mind always in heart or just kind of like you have like a, a soft spot for the unseen Works. I do. I mean, yeah. the, the, just the the chutzpah of right. of some of these filmmakers or filmmaking collaborative uh, collaborations that are, you know, regional and small and um, 
before Tubi, I mean, God, nobody would say this stuff. Oh, and that's yeah. another thing I love about Tubi is that I, I, I always call it the people's streaming service. It's and free. I, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not joking. It's free for one mm -hmm. thing, but also as assuming that you meet the, the basic technical specifications, right? Anybody can upload a movie to it. Oh, that's incredible. And so, yeah, they have like mainstream stuff on there, but they just have mountains of amateur stuff diy stuff and a lot of it yeah is is pretty incompetent <laughs> a lot of it is um and and some of it reaches my very special favorite place of bad movies which is the vanity project oh and that's when i mean and that happens in studio stuff too sometimes but that's when uh, somebody has written directed produced and stars oh yeah and, and oh, their yeah. character is just a flawless person oh of course just a wonderful person uh different kinds of flawless you get the tommy wiseau character uh johnny from the room who uh he's not really a hero but he's just the nicest guy everybody likes him he doesn't do anything wrong to everybody but damn it if he isn't victimized Oh. by all the evils in the world and he's he's almost a jesus figure by the end <laughs> um even though he doesn't know how to have sex and he humps his girlfriend's belly button for some reason <laughs> but um and then you get neil brain mm -hmm. god bless that man who i i, I don't I, I would love to know what he he could be diagnosed with but um he's made uh six features now the uh, sixth one uh, hasn't come out yet i can't wait to see it and he plays a messianic figure oh and everyone oh. sent to save mankind in some vague way i think m night Shyamalan played that game a few times where he introduced himself as like this oh you yeah know, great character well, <laughs> well the <laughs> happening is one, of, is one of my very 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 favorite bad movies yeah yeah uh, because uh he very accidentally made one of the funniest movies ever ever I, ever I produced. love a happy accident like that yeah by the way i've, I've seen the happening probably 10 times and i just die just yeah. tears every and time he took it so i mean you know he was very earnest <laughs> oh yeah he's, he, he was he's so earnest about it he was completely sincere and serious about this film um but it's so so funny um oh my god the hot dog conversation alone if you haven't seen this movie see it it's so good um not for not for the right reasons but it's really really great and that's the thing uh, now you're mentioning i think that sweet spot because i i in talking about bad art now, you know, and I and I have to say, and I'm using that in heavy quotes, by the way, although yes, there is, but it's always subjective and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but I would say that this is defined uh, broadly by what they quote unquote, and others, let's call them critics, since sure. you know, they tend to be the arbiters of taste. Uh, and to a certain extent, although the vulture just published this pretty fantastic takedown of rotten tomatoes uh recently oh, rotten tomatoes is the worst absolute worst they have yeah. killed they have, if you're looking for someone to blame for the downfall of american cinema give them a big shout because yeah. um they've they've really turned studios into basically like on their knees like begging please give me a 100 percent uh yeah. yeah and they don't give a shit they'll game the system however they can please anybody out there listening to this who goes to rotten tomatoes to see if you should see a movie do not it's dead to you yeah just it is it's dead. trash um it is trash and i'll post a link to that article uh in the show notes but you posted a meme uh, the other day. And that's what gave rise to this whole thing. Like, I got to talk to Ed. I've been wanting to get you on this show forever. But I was like, I think I finally got an angle to talk about in between this and your anthology. Uh, 
it was called 15 pretty big differences between good art and bad art. And it's a little chart and yes. it, it has like, you know, 15 <laughs> things written with complete sincerity. <clears throat> oh yeah. It's sort of, they definitely shyamalan this uh, in that respect. It's the happening in chart form. Um, where they talk about the differences between good art and bad art. And they list 15 things, emotional and physical effect, uh, directional changes, mental effect. I mean, this is, these sound really convoluted just reading them this way. Um, they talk about different metaphors and its essential nature. And they'll say like good art improves the mood while bad art makes you feel weird. That's the <laughs> yeah. Weird. The, the bad art makes you feel uncomfortable. I'm like, all good art should make you feel uncomfortable. What are you uh, talking about? I have dude? S- some of my most favorite movies of all time make me feel weird. Actually, most sure. of them. I would say yeah. that's what I look for. I want to feel weird. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, that 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 list brought to mind a couple of things for me. Mm-hmm. Um, one was it sounds suspiciously like the um, Nazi crackdown on degenerate art yes and degenerate art to the nazis was anything that wasn't a, in the western classical tradition right what it also brought to mind and i was, I was going to try to sneak this in earlier that there's this little subset when we're talking about some of the unusual stuff that 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 i and, and a lot of my friends watch um that doesn't it isn't necessarily bad it can be which is outsider art right and with the Rotten Tomatoes thing really brought that to mind, where uh, there there is an in-world to every art form, right? In, in, in film, it's it's Hollywood. In film and TV, it's Hollywood. In publishing, it's the New York houses. Right. Um, in art, it's some assholes. Who fucking knows? But um, <laughs> the, art, the, 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 the graphic art world is really strange. But, oh, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Really, really, really strange. <laughs> but uh, so outsider art can, can be complete incompetence or weird vanity stuff but often it's it's something that nobody else has done it's 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 a point of view it's a perspective that nobody else has has keyed into in a way mm-hmm. and maybe the acting isn't so great because they didn't uh, you know go to go to go to drama school and the technical aspects are not going to be so great because they had a thousand dollars if they're lucky to, to put on their credit card to make the picture but if you, I, I look past that more often than not and, and see something of real value in an outsider art. I mean, if you've ever enjoyed the music of like Daniel Johnston or Wesley Willis, mm-hmm. uh, it's weird stuff, but I don't, it's not bad stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, those are actually interesting cases because those are both people with pretty severe mental illness who channeled that into their art. Yeah. And made something that nobody else could possibly have made. And that most people would hear and go, well, that's crap. Right. Because it doesn't sound like anything on the radio. And I hear it and go, I've, that doesn't sound like anything on the radio. I want to know more about this. You know, if it, if it jangles my senses and go, this isn't what a movie's supposed to look like. This isn't what a, sa- a song is supposed to sound like. I don't turn off. I turn on. I wish more people were like this, because I do feel that the older most people get, the more their antennas shrink. Yes. You know, they don't want to discover, they want to retreat to the familiar comforts. And I, and I am guilty of that as well. But I always try to, uh, you know, put something out there, keep an eye on what other people are watching and listening to. Because I know that left to my own devices, 
I would be in a corner, probably in a fetal position, watching the same five movies um, <laughs> and and reading the same five books and eating the same five meals. I mean, it. I get into those like the world is crazy and I don't I can't control it, but I have yeah. these five things and that's yeah. I'm safe now. And it's not logical and it's not rational. And keeping that desire for discovery open throughout your life, I think, is so important. And by the way, you were absolutely right. That was a great comparison on this meme that we mentioned uh, sounding like sort of like that propaganda, because at its conclusion, after saying that, you know, good art uh, is instinctively recognized as art, whereas bad art is instinctively recognized as a scam or uh, values, hence uh, good art, hence it forgotten values, while bad art mocks the concept of values. And uh, and then at its conclusion, good art is man's divine right and terrible duty. Bad art is whining, coping, seething, and a waste of time. This person, and by the way, this is by, uh, there's an uh, attribution to this, at old books guy. Yeah. So I don't know if this person's on Twitter or yeah, I glanced, I glanced at, at some of his stuff on Twitter and he's definitely this like men's right activist. Oh, that makes, makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Making fun of, of values is, is, is every artist's solemn duty. Yeah. Um, questioning uh, all of those kinds of, of social structures must be done. Yeah. Um, I mean, and even going down that list, if you just didn't know it was referring to bad art, for instance, uh, one of the things was like good art boosts your energy and bad art seeps, saps your energy. Uh, are you saying that Schindler's List is bad art? Right. Because it's I was exhausting. I was knocked flat for days after I saw that fucking movie. Sure. And it is considered one of the greatest movies of all time. So please, please tell me. <laughs> like, uh, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's right wing. uh garbage it, it's it is twaddle. it's total garbage and i you know and there are people out there that read this and i know as a, when i was starting out writing as a very young idiot i uh i was so middle-aged we are now <laughs> yes exactly and i i was like i want to be important i want to do like yeah. you know big things and that was me just thinking that i could adhere to this standard of like good important art and i started to shun pulp a little bit and i started to like mm-hmm. i, I ugh, you know and people do there. that is a, is it like when you're trying to become a known quantity at your art you tend to like want to stay within between these very very solid rails and do not deviate never use a fucking adverb adverb fuck adverbs i mean yeah. like you know people just think that there are these rules that they have to follow and it's like that's the opposite of creative writing my friends please yeah. i that's why i stopped teaching uh writing i still will do a little bit of it here and there but there are way too many people that are desperate for a messiah to tell them how to be creative well most most people who aspire to uh, uh write fiction or make films or anything like this uh what they're really aspiring to is is greatness yeah at least when they start i did I did when I was young. I want. I wanted people to applaud my greatness. Yes. Um, yes. I don't. I have no desire for that anymore. Um, and, I mean, God, the best compliment I could possibly get is, you know, that made me uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I don't know what just happened to me. I'm like, oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, what the and, fuck did I just read? I uh, love that comment. <laughs> 
apart from the monetary aspect, because unfortunately we do live in this part of history where that's important. Right. Um, I would rather be a cult favorite than a New York Times bestseller. Yeah. And I and I know that sounds kind of hipsterish, but uh, I, I really do mean it because I want to write for people like me. You know, right? I want to I want to write stories that I want to read. And if I were to make films, I would want to make the films that I want to see. I, I wouldn't want to make a, a fucking Marvel movie. Right. Uh, no offense to people who enjoy Marvel movies. I'm kidding. All offense to people who enjoy Marvel <laughs> movies. Um, I hate them so much. Um, <laughs> and they have ruined American cinema in Listen, ways that coming, I don't know that we're ever going to get out of. Martin Scorsese has never lived that down. And they're coming after you next. <laughs> I know. He was right. <laughs> he was He, he, was, he, he was, was right. He was completely right. Uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I hate this shit. I hate this franchise shit so much. Yeah. Um, it's just, there's just big headache inducing plotless cartoons and commercials and com and yeah, they're, they're merchandising machines. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know until the last five years, uh, cause I'm, I'm stupid that when we were growing up, Reagan had, uh, you know, the, the, the Republicans love to deregulate everything. Um, Except for women's bodies, of course. <laughs> um, and uh, they had completely deregulated uh, children's programming. And so all of those cartoons that our generation is so nostalgic about yeah. were just cynical, money-making marketing ploys. We were constantly being advertised to, mm -hmm. to buy shit, to make our parents buy shit, to shut us up. All these people that are that are nostalgic about G.I. Joe and Transformers and He-Man and all that crap that I loved, too, when I was a kid. Yeah. It was cynical. It, it, it was just, it was capitalism at its absolute worst. And it really was just about selling shit. Yeah. Period. That's all it was. And when I realized that for the first time, I was angry about it. Yeah. And in the 90s, they managed to, to dial that back and... and you know, we were all, what happened to Saturday morning cartoons? That's what fucking happened. You know, it's sanity prevailed for once in this country. Like, maybe we shouldn't be advertising to children endlessly yeah, for... I'm not yeah. anti-cartoon. I'm not saying that at all. But um, but the way that it was being done was gross. Yeah. But that exact same group of kids are now adults, and now they're doing the same thing to us now. Mm-hmm. With all the stuff that we get on streaming and all the stuff we get in the theaters. That's upsetting to me. When it becomes like part of this sort of empty commodity, you know, yeah. and, and, and it's like, I when, when it becomes a thing of where I need to have so much mental bandwidth to be able to take in all this content in order to understand this one part of it that seems interesting to me. It's like, oh, yeah, this this is a Marvel movie I wouldn't watch. Oh, but did you watch, you know, Avengers 3 and Ultron yeah. and uh, da, 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 and the TV and the show TV and all this? Shows, I'm yeah. like, are you fucking kidding me? So I, I, I and then, but then on the same breath, they'll say, oh, but you'll probably still be okay if you haven't watched it. I'm like, yeah, I could probably follow the fucking plot. That is not a question. These things are written for 10-year-olds. That's not yeah. the fucking problem. <laughs> it's it's that if I know that there's this whole world of other information out there about these characters and this story as it pertains to this movie, then I'm not going to fucking bother because it's just going to feel like a flat Coke to me. And so 
I'll just move on to something else. And so that's why Definitely. it's like, you know, there there are some Marvel properties that, you know, I'd be like, okay, yeah, watch. Oh, yeah, I got to watch 20 other movies. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. let's see what else is on tonight. Um, <laughs> and, and moving on. And I think that's actually more people are falling into that line of thought because these movies are you know, in many ways, thank God, starting to taper off a little bit in terms of property or I'm sorry, in terms of quality and money that they're making, which is going to make, you know, the people at the top pivot into something else. God, let it be Westerns or something for fuck's sake. You know, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, we're we're just like the Gilded Age again, where these, these, but the thing is in the, in the original Gilded Age, I mean, these Titans of industry were pretty terrible monsters for the most part, but they actually did things for the cities they lived in you know they built museums and shit there's nothing like that happening they just there's never ever enough for these people if a movie only makes back three times its budget they consider it a failure now oh yeah never enough um and the only way you could possibly make as much money as they demand to make is to have the widest possible appeal and when you stretch appeal that thin then what you have is nothing. You have air. It's sort of like Wonder Bread. It's not really bread. It's just air. I mean, it's, yeah. it's structured air. It's they pumped enough air into it to yes. mass produce it so everybody gets a piece, but that is not healthy. Yeah. It's <laughs> not good. And, you know, I mean, if if that's your thing, that's your thing. That's it is what it is. But be realistic about it, for Christ's sake. I mean, at least to know what it is, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch this thing and know that, yeah, it's commercial whatever i can turn my brain off and watch this for two hours but i'm i'm not gonna act like it fucking fulfilled me in some essential way or or really like even as much as is some you know some mainstream thing from 30 years ago that's just the sad thing about it these days in the theaters and the people that you know make movies for theaters this is all they want to make and you know it's just so ironic to me that the movie that is generally credited with kicking off the the hollywood blockbuster phenomenon Mm -hmm. uh, is jaws 1975 yeah every bit as good today as it was almost 50 years ago such a good movie it's just a credible uh, achievement in cinema uh and you know people had generally not lined up for weeks and weeks on end to see a movie like that before they did for birth of a nation because america is horrible mm-hmm. but um that played for years <laughs> yeah it was really sad like uh last night when i was doing some writing in my book and there's a, a part of it that takes place in 1992 and the character is referring to going to see a, a movie and i was like oh what should the movie be let me go and look and see what movies came out the summer of 1992 and it was like batman returns a league of their own um Oh my God, there were there were so many yeah. movies and it it was like that we consider that have aged pretty well or yeah. still like or whatever. And it's like and there was such a wide variety of, of genres and it's like that is dead. Like you'll sure. never have another fucking year like that. And you just look at that None roster. Of this Marvel crap is gonna be held up thirty years from now. If it is, we're in a lot of trouble. Batman Returns <laughs> was a sequel, but it was like it didn't feel like it was this such a massive franchise that it was. It was hard a weird movie. It was very much a, a Burton movie back when he was good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I I I like it more now than I did when I first saw it. I think I and now as as a grown up, I think when I rewatched it back about probably ten years ago, um, I was like, oh yeah, okay, this movie isn't too bad. I think when I was like twelve or whenever that came out, I was like, 
Uh, it's not as good as the first one. <laughs> it's like a nightmare circus for two yeah. hours straight. It's, it's really wild. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Um, but uh, I wanted to note, too, that uh, going back to that meme and the discussion on your page about it, I noticed a majority of the people uh, that were reacting said that these are. this is exactly why they love bad art, or this is what they, mm-hmm. they like feeling the way bad art makes them feel. And they aren't even trying to change the qualifier either. They still call it bad art. And it's a little like saying, I think, like, this beer or coffee tastes like shit, but I'm drinking it anyway. And, you know, there's like that thing of like, for me, like, I love shitty gas station coffee. Mm. And, and like, I don't know why. It's just there's some, I know it's bad. I know it's like not good coffee, but I'm like drinking it anyway. And over like a high dollar pour over that, you know, it costs $7 at a local cafe because it's like, I can specifically say that like that pour over in every way is going to be better. Like it's on paper and in reality, it's a better quality bean. They're taking care of it better. They're preparing it correctly. And the final product is probably going to be pretty good. But I almost never go out for that kind of coffee. I I like my shitty gas station coffee. So why do some of us kind of crave low quality? And then on the flip side, why do some people shy so far away from bad quality? Like they would never waste their time watching a bad movie, for instance. If they go mm. and check the reviews and see that they're bad, they're not going anywhere near it. And so there's like two camps there. And I just wonder sure. like why why do some why do we sometimes just want to watch bad shit is it maybe we're trying to guard our expectations you know it's not we know it's not going to be great and so we just go with it versus like well if i order that seven dollar (laughs) coffee it might taste like wet paper i've had that happen to me at expensive coffee shops i've gotten like this kenyan beautiful triple a shade grown fair trade stuff and it's like (laughs) uh this sucks yeah. I'm going to Starbucks. Uh, but it, it, so I just wonder about that. I even asked my husband this today. I, I was like, why do you like to watch bad movies? And, and his response was like, I kind of like to get into the director's head or the people's mm-hmm. heads and see like why they made the choices that they make. I want to try to figure out where this went wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and so he likes to run through it in his head. And he likes to study it and, and try to figure out why they made the choices that they made. Um, but I don't know. I think it would be really interesting. And it's something I've considered doing is trying to break it, like break it down into categories, which I haven't really done. Yeah. But I would like to, because it's not the same experience for me every time out of the gate. I mean, for one thing, a bad studio film and a bad independent film are going to be two very different experiences. For oh, me. for sure. For sure. Um, it's fun to watch uh, battlefield earth because a bunch of weird rich cultists made it and that's just so crazy that that even happened uh and it is it's laughable i mean everything about it is bad it's so Um, bad yeah but it's 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 just such a wild experience it's unlike Mm -hmm. any other kind of movie you're going to watch that it's it's to me a very i would recommend it i would recommend that experience to somebody I went and saw most of the Twilight movies in the theater with a group of friends because, mm-hmm. uh, to me, they were side-splittingly funny. Yeah. Just a, just a laugh a minute funny because it's so earnest with these goofy adolescent emotions, even though nobody in the movie is actually an adolescent. Um, <laughs> and it's just so it's just so dumb. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember at one point we actually had management come on because some some teenagers got mad that we were laughing. <laughs> and they said, if you keep laughing, we're going to throw you out. And I said, is it my fault this is funny? 
Um, no. Would you kick me out of like a, a Mel Brooks movie for laughing? No, you wouldn't. Um, doesn't hold water, sir. Sorry. No. But no. Um, And I have no qualms and it doesn't hurt. I don't care if it hurts anybody's feelings that I'm laughing at Battlefield Earth and Twilight. Fuck you. They're bad movies. But you went and you took something positive out of them. And I sure. think that's like... Whereas there are people that will go and see it and go like, oh, my God, this was such a waste of time. What a horrible fucking movie this was and be almost mad about it. Well, I mean, I've been mad about it, about bad movies before. I mean, I, I, I'm i in the camp that thinks that the uh, the Star Trek reboot trilogy is uh, among the worst shit I've ever seen in my life. I haven't seen all of it, but I certainly walked out of the second one going, fuck was that? But I went in there thinking maybe it'll be good. I certainly did not go into Twilight Breaking Dawn thinking, man, maybe they'll surprise me and make a wonderful film. Of course they're not. It's a Twilight movie. So your expectations but, were at a different level. So Yeah. And with a lot of the uh, the vanity projects I watch, I kind of go into it with the same thing because the people making them, almost always white men, have this huge overestimation of their abilities. Yeah. Um, and it and it just is plain as day on, on, on screen. <laughs> When you're watching it going oh man has nobody told you um <laughs> but one thing i've said for many 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 years is there's only one unforgivable crime in movies and that's uh to be boring right right um somebody asked was it you somebody asked me recently do you ever turn a movie off or how often do you do that yes i think that was me who asked that. and yeah. and i don't that often but um because i i usually I usually have pretty good sense of whether something's going to work for me or not. But um, the only time I really ever do is if I'm bored. Yeah. And I'm usually not with with the stuff that I pick because it's just so outlandish. It's so weird. And oftentimes, like I've said before, I mean, I, I think if it's just going to be a complete disaster, but it's funny, then I win. But that's not 100% why I'm going into it because sometimes I find there's more to it where it's not, it's still not good. Yeah, by, by any metric, but there's just this this energy, this 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 chutzpah, right? Of 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 somebody that says, "I'm going to max out my credit card and make a movie in my backyard, you know, and I'm going to get the story out of me, and I'm going to get this vision made." And like, not most people don't do that. They might fantasize about it, but they don't actually do it. Like, I I've, I mean, it's hard enough as a writer sometimes to just sit my ass in the fucking sure. chair and type. And then here are these people like building sets and, sure. you know, staging shots and doing this whole thing. Um, it it kind of reminds me of just, uh, I don't know, like when, when people do stuff like that. I think you're absolutely right. I love that idea, that grit, that tenacity of saying i'm gonna make this thing this go to all this effort and spend all this money because i have an idea that i believe so much in i'm gonna yeah. do it and even if it's not the greatest quality thing you can really see that and you, really you, respect it in some way i do have a lot of respect for a lot of this stuff because i can see between the lines of, of what they were envisioning and it's and it just and they did the best they possibly could with limited means which mm -hmm. you know and if you don't have an, an investor <laughs> you're gonna have limited means and, and and despite all of the many 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 shortcomings of, of streaming and and the damage that i do think it's done to uh entertainment in general um so you know tubi is just a boon for that stuff because we live in the sort of golden age of true independent cinema not the bullshit in the 90s when every studio had like a little 
sub company like Miramax or Samuel Goldwyn or Fox Searchlight and everybody went, oh, it's indie movies. Oh, really? $100 million yeah. indie movies. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. That are winning Oscars. Awesome. Yeah. Independent. Sure. Real independent movies. Um, I mean, the, the, the number and the sheer amount of the stuff that's available to us now is, is astronomical. And I, I do recommend movies to people sometimes, but they don't believe me because it's all the other stuff that I watch. They're like, no, <laughs> I don't trust you. Well, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate because I, I do feel like somebody who's willing to sit and watch some of the things that you watch indicates a sort of its own form of patience and open-mindedness with an art form. And yeah. even if you don't agree, there's no denying that your opinion is quite honest and it's not just you know, following a thing. I'm sure we don't like the same movies. I know, I know I like Star Wars. Uh, I don't love Star Wars. I'm not like I'm a Star <laughs> Wars fan, but you know, and, and so it's like, at the same time, I, I feel like I would want your opinion on something because, because of everything that you watch and what things that you're willing to watch. So if you, if you tell me that you couldn't sit through something, then I fucking know I won't. And I use my husband as the same kind of barometer because there are movies that he has turned off. And I pay close attention to that because mm. he will he will sit through most anything. Like he doesn't love horror, but he will sit through he watched Midsummer with me. I don't think that he particularly liked it. Oh, I loved but it. <laughs> uh I yeah, it, it it definitely left a mark. Um I think he got something out of it, but I don't think he would ever want to go back to it again. If he turned something off, I was sitting there one day. He wanted to put on the Wonder Woman 84, you know, Whoa. that 1980s one, right? I, I actually did see that. Yeah. And he. It's wretched. I'm si Yeah. I'm sitting there typing. I'm, I'm writing because I had no desire to watch it at all, but he had it on. And about 25 minutes later, he got up and turned the fucking thing off. I'm like, you okay. And he was like, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> I'm yeah. like. Oh, and then, you know, told me, like, I guess it was like the scene where that with the one of the more troublesome scenes in it, where I think she took over someone's uh, body without their consent or had someone oh, take over the body. Yeah, yeah there was I like that, that whole thing. And I guess that scene just like, he was like, fuck this shit. I'm done. <laughs> like, yeah. wow, we found so, you know, for somebody who who has that, though, ability for the most part to sit through pretty much any damn thing you put in front of him. Uh, or if he's the same way with food and drink, he will eat and drink pretty much anything you give him. So if he doesn't like it, then I'm like, uh, okay, this is it poisoned? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know. Something something isn't right with it. So because um, I have my own roadblock of I am not known to be someone to do what you do or what he does because I I, I spend my time very poorly. And so I often feel like I never have enough time to watch anything. And I don't know why that is. I'm the same, but this is such a big part of my, my life. And it, and it, and it does sort of inform a, a, a lot of my outlook on life um, mm -hmm. in, a, in a weird way that I, I find the time. I'm also an insomniac, so it's not uncommon for me to crawl out of bed at one o'clock in the morning and go, okay, Toby, what you got for me? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know? Now, I wanted to uh, ask just strictly now, I, I feel like I've been watching you watch movies forever, although I know I <laughs> haven't. But which did this really get going around uh, the time COVID or was it pr prior to that as far as oh, like God, getting no. on Tubi and, you know, watching, you know, well, whatever? I mean, 
It would have started around 1990 when I discovered Mystery okay. Science Theater 3000. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So you've um, always been like yeah. really, I know you always said you have a VHS player and all that, but I was curious if, you know, that like, all right, I'm going to queue up whatever I can queue up today. Like yeah. you're, even back then you're like, like you said, you're going and looking for VHS tapes and DVDs yeah. and all that. Enjoying bad movies as as unintentional comedy goes back to when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and that's that's something that really revved up in the 70s uh, with things like the Golden Turkey Awards and stuff when Ed Wood first started getting a lot, a lot of notice. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but Mystery Science Theater really exploded. Love that, that show. Oh, my God. I think you're right. I think that show definitely gave me the soft spot for the kind of goofy pulpy uh sci-fi and like sort of hercules and all that all those fantasy shows and things and movies um and the the mystery science theater 3000 the movie that movie yes 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 uh it was so funny i was sitting there um my when that came out i was watching it at a friend's house and my husband ken was with me and he's sitting there he's like I've seen this movie. I'm like, oh my god, because I've well, never seen it. I grew up it. watching that movie. I like, so I like that movie. You were one of those guys that probably sit down to watch MST3K, and you're like, chances are, I might have already seen this movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love but, that. But that's that's another part of it too. Is I know people, particularly filmmakers, can can, can be very very sensitive about uh, that kind of humor because they wouldn't want it aimed at them, right? Yeah. But um, but w- the, the thing I'm always quick to point out is Rift Tracks, which is sort of a, another iteration of, of Mystery Science Theater, if, if anyone's not familiar with it, with three of the guys from that show. Uh, they did Casablanca. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You can do it to anything, right? <laughs> yeah, you can. Um, you can find humor in anything. So oh, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily... Uh, and there are movies on both Rift Tracks and, and MST that are just bad. But a lot of it isn't. A lot of it's just low budget or, you know, sort of. Or just goofy. Because it's old or, you know, different values that people had. A lot of 50s movies are very easy because of the horrible values that everybody had in the dreadful decade. I've seen so many instances of of guys like, you know, Gene Kelly getting away with very rapey behavior on screen. And it's like, she said no. Okay, Mr. American in Paris, go away. Right. (laughs) Or or if that wasn't the movie, it was one of the other ones. He was like, he wouldn't leave this kind of Sid Charisse. He wouldn't leave her alone. I remember that she kept saying no. And I'm literally, I'm in the theater. I was watching this in in a theater and I'm just like, bro, Gene, stop it. Yeah. Stop it. And it was supposed to be cute. Yeah. And, and as she was warming up to him, I'm like, girl, no. <laughs> well, I'm I like, oh, the I think 50s. a lot of people have difficulty watching anything that doesn't align perfectly with their, their worldview and their values and what have Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's n- nothing aligns right. perfectly with my values. Not at I don't all. Think. It's, it's a curiosity to watch things like that, though. And sure. then you're like, yeah, times have changed, thank God. At least I'm a that, big right? John Wayne fan. I yeah. love John Wayne movies. I mean, there's some mm-hmm. real stinkers, but there's some brilliant movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do think that The Searchers is a contender for the greatest American film ever made. Right. But as, as brilliantly uh, directed uh, and written and, and even acted as that movie is, there's certainly attitudes in that movie that are toe-curling. You're like, oh, my God. Oh, absolutely. You know? Um, I mean, my, my, my favorite John Wayne quote, I, I believe it was in She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, that he says, never apologize. It's a sign of weakness. 
Mm-hmm. Like my, my, how many young minds were warped by that scene? <laughs> oh my God! I I honestly think it's a credo that too many live by uh, yeah. today, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like it's it's just been so much fun, kind of talking about art in this way because I I feel like ultimately I I think it boils down to the fact that as humans, you know, probably one of the best things that we have created is this art form of sure. cinema. Um, but also anything, any of the art we make, the bo- books, the movies, the paintings, the, you know, we make a lot of weird shit sure. and we tend to not notice that because up here on this mainstream, we have our white picket fences and our acceptable and normal behaviors, quote unquote, and everything's fine and everything's the same and everything's safe up here. But you don't have to dig too deep at all before you get to the weird shit. And that's mm-hmm. where I think most people should probably be digging toward just to understand people a little better uh (laughs) because you can really get in you can get in the mode of thinking everything is samey same here there's nothing good or it's all commercial crap but hop onto tubi like you said and see what see what she throws at you because you just you never know i almost wish it had a a random uh button oh like yeah just throw something at me (laughs) i'm feeling lucky you know what netflix was doing something like that briefly like we're gonna use your your uh, profile information to sort of try to guess what you might want to watch i did transcription work uh for a number of years and a common kind of thing i would get i think all from the same company was uh focus groups yeah and they were usually entertainment. They were usually uh, like cable channels, ESPN, BET, but I think some studio, some film studios too. And for the first time, I became keenly aware that that these big corporations don't make any steps without maximizing their their absolute potential there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. anytime you see like like Black Panther. Mm-hmm. That was focus grouped to death. They weren't going, let's do something for the black community. They were going, well, white people pay to see this? And right. can we get can we get some numbers on that? Mm-hmm. The Barbie movie kind of called to that at the very end when oh, really? she was, I, have you seen that? I'm sorry. No, I don't I want I don't want to spoil you, but there was there was very much that like all right, that's probably gonna gonna make any money. That's a bad idea. And then oh. somebody behind him <laughs> tapping on a tablet was like, "Oh, this will make money." Okay, never mind. We're gonna do it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I was like, I, "Oh yeah." <laughs> I, I hate that kind of shit. And you know, it's just like the corporations that'll change their uh, profile pictures on social media to to pride flags for June. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't make me. Uh, I identify as bi. That doesn't make me feel very good because I know that they don't give a shit about me. They don't give a right. shit about anybody. They've just done the numbers well, they, figured out yeah you can make, they can make more money, money than, than offend people so right and let's, that, let's and do that that's what drives it and that's what will drive if anything you know any progress toward something like addressing climate change will really only be capitalistic in yeah, nature of course uh yeah, you know and that's how you have to appeal to people with it and that's the sad thing no it's not enough to say we want to treat our planet well for future yeah. generations so they can you know not have their life under the ocean oh that's not enough we have to say no these people will make a bunch of money and, and we'll have jobs because we have to build all this new infrastructure and it's like oh my god well whatever gets you there i guess in the end yeah. but uh it, it's kind of sickening because you know we're losing that that decency i think well i find i honestly find more decency in outsider art even bad outsider art i'm amazed how often the uh without even trying the the, the values that come through in a lot of this stuff 
Oh yeah, are, are just empathetic, decent values from from the people that are making these movies. I mean, I watched an exploitation, a low budget exploitation movie last night called um, Streets of Vengeance. Mm-hmm. Um, loads of nudity in it, loads of blood in it, very very much in that seventies eighties uh, view, but extremely feminist, like super feminist, and not in in that callous cynical hollywood feminism but just genuinely and i was really surprised and and pleasantly surprised watching it uh realizing that i continue to feel that movies as i've watched older movies throughout my life but um recently i i feel like i'm coming to an understanding that as i'm watching movies from say the the 70s and the 80s especially um is that they had far less issue with diversity uh it seemed like they wanted to understand that in some ways black culture having black people in their films and there was like this like there was just more of that mm-hmm. you know also you know and, and now everything's so sterilized it's almost like oh we're gonna meet this formula but it's like no mm-hmm. i think there was like a more earnest attempt uh to yeah. in- incorporate more people it was like we're pe- we're, po- we're just post segregation so now we can kind of celebrate this diversity and now we're yeah. like so far past you know the rolling back of that stuff that we're like desensitized in some way toward it and now we've gone back to segregating again at least creatively and it's like everything just feels very white and sterile uh or cordoned off or whatever it just doesn't feel kind of as like expressive and 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 colorful and interesting as is like a lot of 70s cinema does so i feel like we've rolled backwards in some ways even though we're trying to be more aware i feel like we we kind of lost the script again in the 2000s or really after 9/11 probably well, everything's everything's everybody is bought into this culture war nonsense mm-hmm. yeah you know it's it's so mind blowing that literally everybody loved drag for centuries yes. and all of a sudden it's controversial exactly uh or or the fact that hey this whole thing this whole trans thing is just a fad and it's not even real right. did any did anybody fucking see dog day afternoon right right the whole goddamn uh you know purpose behind that was the dude was rob, you know trying to rob a bank to get a, his partner's uh gender reassignment surgery i yeah. mean this could have been a plot from right now sure. <laughs> it was made in what 1974 Some, somewhere in there yeah so yeah yeah so people have very short memories lest we that. think this is anything new i think people just they're told that it's new and that they have yeah. to be outraged about it right now and so People follow those orders instead of questioning. And everybody has to be outraged about everything all the time to prove that they're the the right kind of left or the right kind of right to to, to their bubble audience. Honestly, I I feel like that's probably the biggest danger to the future of art in general and and how we're going to get more bad art and not good bad art, but really like depressingly shitty art. Uh, the, The kind that you know, does bum us out because well, it means that we're at the end of something, you know? Well, I, I mean, I, it, I don't, I think it's well within the realm of possibility that cinema as we understand it could die. Yeah. Yeah. It's not guaranteed to always be with us. It could die. I mean, we're sitting right now on this recording in the middle of a, a writers and actor strike that is going nowhere. And I'd just like to say for, uh, for, for posterity, fuck Drew Barrymore. Uh, amen. Amen. <laughs> But uh, but I will go ahead and wrap it here. I feel like we've had a great discussion, and I am just so glad that you came on Thank uh, you. to talk about this and share a little about yourself. And might I add, you just you have such a great voice, Ed. Oh, thank if, you. If you ever do 
a podcast, please, please uh, let me know. Uh, I will. And, you know, we'll promote that thing. We'll make it happen. So, because I, I feel like the people need to hear more Ed Kurtz. Uh, I, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> I will be back next week with another episode. But before that, go ahead and check out Ed Kurtz's work. You can find him all over Amazon and, and various, uh, where do you want people to buy your stuff from Ed? Do you, are do you have a, I, I mean, I'm not very picky, but I mean, you can, yeah, you can yeah. pretty much any, anywhere that you can order books, you can find this stuff, but uh, yeah. There's so much to choose from. Uh, may I recommend the rib from which I remake the world. Fantastic. Um, I have uh, your short story collection. Is it nothing you can do? I have oh, yes. that one. Um, okay. I think that was your first collection, wasn't it? Probably. Yeah. I don't yeah. <laughs> he's, done, he's done so much, and his his the Boone Western trilogy. I love it. Um, I love it so much that I blurbed the first one. You did. And, Thank you. And everybody that. should check it out if you love westerns with a very cool spin and a. Uh, lead heroine who is unlike any that you will find in any western i will just say that um fantastic stuff yeah yeah i love (laughs) it also go over to cemeterydance.com to pre-order in the cold cold ground i don't think any of you are going to regret that decision so um and you can check me out over on facebook at the ding dong darkness time podcast page uh you would have at one time found me on twitter but i'm not over there as much anymore because nazis um but you can also email me at ddarknesstime at gmail.com if you have any questions and you know maybe while you're out there on the internet leave the show a review over on apple that helps a lot and uh, i guess that's it so uh i will catch y'all on the flip side and thank you very much ed for coming by thank you for having me on i appreciate it This episode was produced by yours truly, Allison Nixon, and wouldn't be possible without the amazing contributions of countless friends, family, and Patreon supporters. Big shouts also go out to Nathaniel Dixon for all the show art, as well as Spencer Morlock and Ken Dixon for the music. I'll be back with something new next week. In the meantime, you know what to do. Be good, you little ding-dongs. (laughs) 